What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Life Like a Movie podcast, where I try to bring you the people and ideas that can, one, help eliminate unnecessary suffering, and then two, help to squeeze the juice out of life. That is my goal here, and today's guest is going to help us do the first part, which is eliminate unnecessary suffering. So my guest today is Samuel. He is a monk who lives in Montreal. He's been a monk for two years now. And if there is uh, one breed of people that knows how to eliminate suffering, that would be monks. Now, there's a great quote by Buddha. It was, desire is the pre-contract to suffering. And in this podcast, Samuel tells us how to eliminate, not eliminate our desires, excuse me, but to turn those material desires into spiritual ones. You guys are really going to love this. All right, let's get right into it. All right, so for everybody listening, um, we have a very special guest today, Samuel. He is... um, the the monk that I met on the side of the road in Halifax so many months ago and instantly I was drawn in by his demeanor him and his um, friend Marshall and so I ended up sitting down with them for I believe it was like 30 or 40 minutes but I was kind of in the businessman mindset at the time I was like okay I gotta go like sorry guys like five minutes um, and then I really gotta go but luckily enough they they got me to sit down and chant with them and I believe we chanted for a good 30, 30 or 40 minutes. And I got out of that chant, everybody, in the most blissful state of my life. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And so um, anyways, I, I believe it was three months later after that, I asked them to, to, to live with them for a couple weeks. And um, here we are. So um, thank you, Samuel, again, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And if you wouldn't mind just sharing your story a little bit with the audience, um, how you got to where you are right now. Sure. Uh, thank you, bro. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, so actually, uh, for what could be explained as my story, like many y- young people, I guess, when you get into school, university and stuff, you start to wonder a bit where I'm going, what is this all about, uh, what do I want to do with my life, How, what's the best way to be happy, actually which are all interlinked questions. And uh, well, I was, I guess I was too deep in these questions because I went to study philosophy. <laughs> so because so, I, I couldn't find any satisfying answers. I was like, well, let's spend more time contemplating these questions. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was doing. I started to study philosophy at the University in Montreal here. But I was mostly reading on my own, you know, reading different things. I was mostly brought to a more Eastern philosophy, more Eastern spirituality, because I thought this was very, uh, very appealing. It was less of, you know, like ideas that don't mean anything kind of things that we find a lot in Western philosophy, actually. Mm. Um, so I, I got pretty deep into this, and but I was not satisfied. I could not find anything that was really like... Uh, I could settle my mind on, okay, like, this is a satisfying answer, and let's base my life on that. So, <laughs> yes. uh, actually, I stopped studying philosophy, and I started uh, piling a bit of money to go to India. Because I was thinking, maybe if I go to oh. India, I'm going to meet someone, you know, who knows more than me about all this, and like a spiritual master or whatever. I was not too sure what I was doing, so I just bought a ticket, single ticket like this to India, and I arrived there, and uh, somehow or other, after uh, after a few days, 
because bef- you know before that I heard about uh, before going to India I was reading I found a comic book actually no uh, kidding a comic book on uh, this person this person called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and okay. I was like I was talking about his life and I was like, whoa, this looks like the most ecstatic person I ever heard. Of. <laughs> you know, Buddha is like sitting in meditation, seems pretty like, you know, he's a peaceful guy. But there is a difference between being peaceful and being like totally ecstatic. And this guy mm. was like, this was totally ecstatic in yes. the spiritual love of God. So I was yes. like, this is amazing. And yeah. I, went into a temp- I went into a small temple in South India a few days after I arrived. And then I met a a young, well, in his late twenties, young guy, and he was, he told me, oh, you know this temple, actually, uh, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he walked in this temple, and I was like, hey, I know this guy, I, <laughs> I heard about him, whatever. In a comic and, book. Uh, yeah, in a comic book, and then, um, anyway, we talked, he gave me some books more on the philosophy of the Vedas, uh, as taught by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, um, and then he told me, there's this temple in Montreal, you should go there when you come back to Montreal. And I was just thinking, you know, uh, it's okay. You know, I'm doing my own thing. I don't need anyone or any temple or any congregation or religion, whatever. I, I'm doing my stuff. So, uh, but then somehow or other, when I arrived in Montreal, a few days after, I met some monks in the, in the subway, actually. They were giving books, like uh, Vedic books, like Bhagavad Gita and all these things. And... Uh, so I met Marshall, that's who. <laughs> oh, and he, he, he got you too, hey? Yeah, he gave, he gave me a Gita and Bhagavatam and a few books. And he told me, you know, there is a sannyasi. Like, sannyasi means a senior monk, you know, who took lifetime vows. He said, he's at our temple this evening and he's giving a lecture. You should come. So I went there, listened to the class, and then had a meal. With, I spoke to Marshall until like 11 p.m. And about philosophy, different things. And then he gave me some beads and he told me, you should chant this mantra, a Hare Krishna mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So I started doing this, reading a bit these books, uh, chanting. Some, you know, I was reading and s- sometimes I was thinking, well, this is great. Sometimes I was not sure. But, but with the chanting, with getting the practice of chanting, I was just chanting, you know, 15 minutes every day. Uh, I was not more than that, but I was just keeping this uh, regular practice and reading book. And f- the time passed a few months, and I went back to visit the temple, which was like nine-hour bus ride from where I was living. So I mm-hmm. would just go there, see, go see the temple, and say, "Well, this is this is pretty nice, actually. People here, <laughs> they seem to to be very happy, and it's not just like uh, sentimental happiness, like." Uh, happiness based on actual knowledge so then you know, after a few months I had, I had no commitment to anything like I know res- I was not responsible of a wife and kids or whatever I didn't have a job so I was like let's just move in the temple full-time uh, try this monk life you know full-time spiritual life let's see what this is all about and that was like a little bit less than two years ago and uh, oh, it's the best decision I ever took. <laughs> no kidding. That's that's amazing. I love that story. Um, so, what was it about? What was it about the temple that made you want to live there full time? Because I mean, for a lot of a lot of people, go through like you said the phase of like, what do I do with my life? But most people don't end up living in a temple for their whole life. 
which mm-hmm. which I find absolutely fascinating. So what was it about the temple life that intrigued you? Or at the start, was it like, I'm just going to try this out and see what it see what it's like? But like when you, when you first made the decision to move into the temple, was it a, a decision in your mind you thought was going to be temporary? Or did you know that it was, it was going to stretch two years? Well, I guess it was kind of a mix of both. In the same way, I liked, you know, the, when I was reading about Buddhism and all this, I found there's so much dedication in these monks, you know, who put their full life in, in their spiritual practice. Like they give everything. They don't keep anything for themselves. So I was very drawn by this mindset, this mm. kind of intensity, you know. Of, we're here, one on earth, we have a purpose. So let's just strive and give everything we have for it. At the same time, you know, I didn't know. At first, when I moved, I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to go there one or two months and then let's see what Oh, happens. okay. And uh, let's... So I, I was kind of a mix of both. <laughs> of yeah. Both. <laughs> of course, many... Actually, in Vedic culture, this kind of monk life, which is called more precise yes. and brahmachari training, actually, every young man does this. From 5 to 25 oh. years old, every young man... Uh, needs to do this kind of you go to the gurukul the home of the spiritual master and you engage in spiritual practice and then at 25 most people actually uh, they go to family life you know they get married they get a job but because of their training you know 20 years of training then they they don't lose track you know of what's the actual uh, point in life you know, spirit that see. you don't get in you know entangled in material things uh, you know that Maybe you're using material things, but ultimately it's for a spiritual purpose. So then you Understood. know the part. You have to learn. But this, this, basically, in this training, you learn the difference between spirit and matter. So, uh, so would you would you mind explaining the difference between, uh, or just explaining, I suppose, uh, the mind, body, and soul? Sure. Um, actually, the in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about. Um, there is the soul, there is the intelligence, there is the mind, and there is the senses. So we put it in four parts. Okay. So of course the senses, I mean, everybody has experience of that. We, uh, we connect our senses to sense objects, and that's called, uh, there's a certain rasa, there's a certain called taste, a certain mellow. There's kind of, a, there's something we taste by mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this relationship between the sense and the sense objects. The problem is that uh, it's tem- it's always temporary. You know, every um, pleasure that comes to the senses is limited uh, mostly by its temporary nature. So it gives us, you know, if we feel something and it's nice, but then we have to strive to get it back again because we we lose it. It's just like uh, slips <clears throat> between our fingers. So like this it, is yeah. it's always it's always hankering and lamenting, right? Like we hanker for a sense yeah. object, let's say, and then we lament. That we lost that sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. I'm just trying to make it super, super simple, so I, I can help myself understand it a bit better. Yeah, so that's. It, sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. That's exact. That, that's exactly it. So that's uh, material sense pleasure. It's described uh, in Bhagavad Gita, Dukalayam Ashashvatam. Dukalayam. It's the, it says that it's it always brings misery in the end, and Ashashvatam. It's temporary. So of course this is not satisfying, and most people they identify with the body. You know they think, I'm the yes. you know this whole material body. This is me. Uh, there are some people who understand a bit deeper. You know they see that uh, you know, there's the body, and as you were saying, there's the mind too. Uh, there is this thing that brings us everywhere. <laughs> yes. The, 
And most people, a lot of people, they, what they do is they identify with the mind. The mind tells them something. Usually it comes to the senses. So the senses, they want something. And then they say this to the mind. Hey, we should do this thing. And the mind's like, yeah, sure. And the mind, it's like, gives you the sense that this is coming from you. Oh, this is my desire. This is me, you know. But actually it's just the uh, an appeal from the senses that just goes in the mind. And then when it's in the mind, you're... You see there, oh, this is it. But Bhagavad Gita, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that, you know, we have so many ideas, they come into our mind. And then we, just like you were saying, we anchor, we, we grab them and we're like, oh, let's try to make this happen. Yes. But what we, another thing we can do is when this thing enters our mind, we just let it, uh, let it pass and then we, we're going to forget about it. Yes. And, so so we, it, we, we get attached, is what you're saying. Yeah. We get we get attached to material things and to detach is very tough because we don't even maybe know that we can detach from it because we think that it's us. We think that it's our desire. It's us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. As long as you identify with this, these material desires, there's no, no question of, as you're saying, you know, getting de detached from them. But mm -hmm. when you start to uh, understand that, okay, this is actually not the desire of the soul because this doesn't bring me happiness. Uh, then it's the beginning of intelligence. Intelligence actually, um, you know, sometimes some things enter our mind, like a crazy idea enter our mind, and we're like about to do it. The intelligence is like, whoa, <laughs> maybe you should not do this thing. Yes. Then the mind is just like, oh, you old-fashioned intelligence, you know. <laughs> but, but the thing is that uh, we have to cultivate intelligence. Too. It's not just like... Uh, because, oh, I heard that this is bad. It's not going to refrain you from it. You have to deeply understand the reason why this habit, let's say, is uh, keeping you in a bad place in life. So can, I, can, can, I, can I give an example just to sure, maybe please. simplify a little bit? So, like, intelligence would be, like, uh, me not putting my hand on a hot stove. Mm -hmm. Like, I deeply, deeply believe that if I put my hand on the hot stove, it will not create a good result for me. Yeah. Like that would that would you say that's that, a good enough? Yeah, that would be good intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then, uh, uh, maybe a, a different example could be uh, how we lack the intelligence. Is um, maybe like if I want to eat like a big meaty pizza, you know, and I um, like it, I shouldn't do it, but my intelligence maybe isn't stronger than my 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 desire for it. Is that mm -hmm. is that a good example? Yeah, yeah, just like, you know, people who take all sorts of drugs, heroin and all these very, like, devastating drugs. Uh, people with intelligence, they know, they see, okay, look, uh, there are some people, they take these drugs and this is what happens to them. So they're able to see this, to understand this, to see the consequences that's, that uh, comes at the end of the action. So we have to know, actually, you know, it's good, the action, but then what does it lead to? And is it something yes. desirable? So if we understand that something maybe is not so desirable, even if at first it sounds appealing, then we're going to be able to, uh, you know, kind of refrain and then it's just going to pass. Yes. But if not, we just get attached like, oh, heroin, I'm going to have a, a quick high. Boom. Yes. Then yes. you don't think maybe I'm just going to lose everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that rational thought doesn't seem to enter the mind. And, you know, I've, I've totally been there too. And I, I'm very open uh, with my audience that I used to have an eating disorder. And so my, my addiction was food. This was maybe four years ago now. And um, it's, it's just like ridiculous how there's just like such a lack of intelligence. It's, it's, um, 
And then looking back on it, it's like, what? Like, that's, that's just like, it's like, just seems crazy now. But somehow we, we attach, we, we get attached with our bodies and we, we think that it's us. We think that the cravings are us. And when we're in that state or when I was, it's very tough to overcome it, I find, to detach. Yeah. But now I, I can happily say that anytime I have a, a food craving or any, any desire or craving, I can, I literally just, I just think or I just feel like, okay, my body wants this. It's no longer I want this, it's my body wants this. And just even that distinction alone makes it so much easier to not act on it. Yeah, just, the, yeah. just the awareness of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's that at the end of um, the... Let's see. Let's see. I'm going to give you the actual, uh, the actual verse. Because actually in Bhagavad Gita, uh, Arjun he says the same thing. He says, well, for those who don't know, Bhagavad Gita is a conversation between Krishna it's actually God and Arjun, which is his uh, devotee, his friend. And Arjun, he says, what is it, you know, he says, Krishna, what is it that impels one to, uh, you know, bad actions, even unwillingly, as if engaged by a force? That is, that's how we feel when these things happen. Mm. Like, we feel like we're not in control. It just, like, overcomes us, just brings us, like, just like a force. And at yes. the end, Krishna, he says, by knowing oneself to be transcendental to the material senses, mind and intelligence, one should steady the mind by deliberate spiritual intelligence, Krishna consciousness. And thus by spiritual strength you can conquer this, uh, this enemy. You know. So mm. it's by knowing oneself, just like you're saying, to be transcendental to uh, senses, mind and intelligence. So if you know oh, this is a desire of my body, this is not actually my desire, then you're in a good position to overcome this. Yes. So how, how does one become aware that they are, are not their body? Because, I mean, I'm sure people have, may have heard it before and understand it theoretically, but how, how mm. can we make sure that they actually believe it like deep in their, in their soul? Would it be spiritual mm. practice? Is that, is that the best way to go about it? Yeah, well... Um, that's actually a very good question because it's a very deep question. Like you're mm. saying, it's good we can say this. Oh, I'm not the body. <laughs> but then to re to really realize it to a point that you don't act on the, this platform is uh, there's different levels. Uh, you may act on a spiritual platform, but still tainted with material desires. Uh, or some people are just grossly like lost in material desires. So there's kind of a spectrum. Uh, yeah, okay. And depending on where we are on the spectrum, we're going to have to employ different means. So, uh, what's interesting in Bhagavad Gita, in chapter 12, Krishna he says, there is diff he gives different kinds of instruction. He says, uh, just, he, just do this. If you're not able to do this, do that. And then he gives many levels. But at the like, end, he, mm. uh, the, the last thing he says is, just like you're saying, he says, uh, by two things, the beginner starts. By spiritual knowledge and by uh, pra the pra spiritual practice of uh -huh. so the two aspects that we focus more based on this is uh, the study of uh, spiritual literature yes. especially Bhagavad Gita because it talks about this it's really yes. focused on this to make you realize this yes. and to make you transcend this uh, material consciousness yes and so, to, so keep yeah. going no, no, I, yeah, the, and I was saying that the, the, the second thing is just this uh, spiritual practice. It's like we're saying we chant this Hare Krishna mantra. And this is essential to and because uh, you can have knowledge, but to make it realize knowledge and you have to put it into practice. And 
one of the best way to put it into practice is by this uh, chanting of uh, mantra of spiritual vibration. Mm. I love I love that. So it's it's knowledge acquisition and then knowledge application. And I yeah. think the app the application part is where we really start to feel it in our in our mm -hmm. you know like to the depths of us. Yeah. So I, I love that. Um, huh. I, I want to quickly backtrack a little bit to uh, how to end end suffering amongst some of the listeners because i mean even since i've i've left living with the monastery with you i've dealt with some suffering because of material desires and mm. i'm and as i noticed this i was like i was thinking well why am i suffering and then i read a quote from buddha that said um every desire is a pre-contract to suffering yeah so could you like so like are we supposed to just not have any desire at all are we supposed to just be aware of our desires is there anything that you can help us out with so that mm. we can stop our our suffering yeah uh, so yeah, this is interesting, but, but what Buddha, he really, the things that he really pointed out was that uh, how we're not the body, how we're not the mind, he understood this. But the Buddhist teachings, they were not meant to bring people uh, further than that. At this time, this was where they were, they, they, you know, in different times in the history, there is uh, different uh, spiritual processes which are put it forward according to a certain time and place and the condition of the people in general. Mm -hmm. So uh, so in that it's really helpful to understand, yeah, we have these material desires and they don't satisfy us, but Buddha didn't talk about how to pursue spiritual desires. Because one thing that Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, in the beginning of the third chapter, is that uh, the soul is never, inact is never inactive. So the soul is always active. So if... We don't have material desires. We need to have positive spiritual. desires. Yes, yeah, spiritual desires. Ah, uh, okay. And this is just like uh, if you try, there's just like a very uh, normal, very uh, relatable example. If you want to stop smoking, yes. then you, if you just lock yourself in a room and you think, I must not smoke, I must not smoke. Then the only thing that's going to be in your mind is, oh, I would just smoke one. <laughs> yeah. Never going to be able to uh, get free from this desire like this. But if you, you know, I don't know, you start running or whatever, then yes. then you can you taste something higher. And by tasting something higher, then you're able to leave this material desire. So if you want not mm. only like a gross desire, like a smoking cigarette, but if you want to drop all material desires, yeah. then you have to taste... Uh, spirit what what is it like to pursue spiritual desires that's a whole other thing <laughs> and so and when we pursue these spiritual desires it's just way better and like it wouldn't it's like not even a competition at that point it's like why would just rather um like meditate or go for a run than smoke like it just feels better because yeah. i because i feel like the reason why we smoke or why we overeat or why we drink too much alcohol is because there's just like we there's nothing we value more there's not enough meaning to not do mm. it so if yeah. we have more meaning maybe that could that, that could help us overcome some sort of addiction or or um, material desires that are dysfunctional for ourselves was that a good synthesis there yeah exactly yeah, okay, so, awesome. so so yeah that's that's why people are people are unhappy because they don't know anything better mm. so they think that you know you you you're born and then you do so many things and then you die and <laughs> yes, <laughs> nothing's yes. thereafter. So an intelligent person, he wonders, you know, 
uh, what is it, you know, if my ex whole experience of life is connecting the senses through the sense object, then when I'm going to die, there is not going to be this connection anymore between sense and sense objects. But well, what will there be? You know, that's like an mm -hmm. intelligent person who wonders, what is it that there is after the death of this body? And yes. one has to realize the uh, eternality of consciousness, actually. So uh, consciousness is actually, well, actually, some people say we are consciousness, but consciousness is a symptom of who we are. We say we are conscious of something. It's not that we're just conscious, right? My, oh, okay. I, I knew my cousin, he was reading uh, a book, I did, and he was telling me, oh, now that I read this book, I'm more conscious. And I asked him, conscious of what? And he was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Literally, we can be very, very much conscious of like total, totally like material things or nonsense. But the thing is, where do we direct our consciousness? Because consciousness is con like, like a scope. We right, can look okay. this right in front of us or we can look at the stars. We can, so we, it's just where do we direct our consciousness? Oh, that, I feel like this is a very, a very powerful conversation. Because a lot of us, I feel, direct our, I'll just even use the word attention, not even consciousness. I think a lot of us direct our attention on things that are, are very meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Mm. We, we direct our attention on things that are, um, will be meaningless at the end of our lives. And I want to also mention that, as you said, the body deteriora deteriorating is a fantastic example of how all material things are temporary. Like mm -hmm. we are, we are the perfect, like our bodies are the perfect example um, of how, how, you know, all material things are temporary. There's not one person that's not dying right now. You know what I mean? To be, to be kind of depressing, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but yeah, I think that we're, I love, I love how you use the scope analogy. Like we, we can look at life in whatever way we choose and where we put our attention is where we put our energy basically. Right? Yeah. They say where attention flows, energy flows. Ah, I love that. And uh, but that's that's like where the beginning of intelligence starts. There's uh, more than five thousand years ago, there was a sacrifice in the forest of uh, Naimisharanya, and there was some uh, some a lot of sage. You know, they went there to hear uh, what's called the Srimad Bhagavatam, because there. But before that, there was an emperor. You know, a big king. And he, okay. he, would, he was cursed that he would die in seven days. Yes. And he went on the side of a holy river in the Ganges. And mm. many sages started uh, sitting there. And then Shukadev Goswami, a very great sage, he went there. And Maharaj Parikshit, this king, he asked this great sage, Shukadev Goswami, he said, what is the duty of a man about to die? Right? And Shukadev Goswami, the first thing he answered, he was like, your question is so nice, you know, so glorious. You know, because th just the answer to this question, like, is beneficial to everyone. Because nobody asks this in this world. Because mm. basically, we're all in the situation of this king. We're all about to die. It's just a question of time. Maybe it's seven days or maybe it's 70 years even. But we're all going to die. But nobody wonders, you know, uh, what does it imply? Just like you're saying, because this, this body is temporary. So what is beyond the temporary? That's, that's what philosophers should ask mm. and, uh, and and th this is where intelligence starts trying to understand that you're not 
the body. We can say it again and again. <laughs> yes, yes. But until you actually understand it. Well, I'll, I'll say for myself, um, I was only living with you guys for 16 days. So that's not a very um, long time, I would say. Yet, me as somebody who has no spiritual background. Well, I mean, I, I meditated like for a year or so on and off. But it was like, you know, five to like 20 minutes. And it was basically just like focusing on my breath. There wasn't a whole lot of meaning behind it. Mm. Then I go and live with you guys for 16 days and I get completely transformed. Like I, I couldn't believe how much my life had changed after that. My spiritual life um, completely revamped. Mm. But not everyone is going to go live with monks for 16 days. So what could somebody do at home to get started? Or is there like a, a, a little practice they could start or a group meeting to go attend? Mm. Could you help us out with that? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, when you're alone in your place, uh, of course, the best is to do this with people who are doing it, mm. even if that doesn't mean like uh, living in a in a temple, but just meaning is there some people you know around where I live who actually uh, are engaged in this uh, spiritual practice, this search, you know. Um, course when you're alone at home things we were talking about two simple things about uh, a mantra meditation spiritual practice mm. and about uh, developing spiritual knowledge so uh, of course what we recommend to people when I meet because we go in the street every day we do some chanting some kirtan chanting of mantras with instruments we meet people and we give them books like we were talking about Bhagavad Gita the teachings of Lord Krishna um, we, so it's good to read the spiritual knowledge, um, to do some this practice of chanting Hare Krishna like we're doing. Because this is, it's it said in the Vedas that there's different kinds of meditation. And this more contemplative meditation, you know, like focusing on the breath, it's recommended uh, actually a long time ago when people's minds were more, much more clear. Because these days we're so disturbed. Our mind is just mm. like going everywhere. I'm sure everyone totally tried to that's relatable. <laughs> so yeah, that, but that's just the state. So we have to see what's our a doctor. What he does is that he see what's the states of my patient. Doesn't give the same medicine to everyone. So in this age, it said that where our mind is very disturbed. So it's recommended that we do this uh, mantra meditation, this chanting of mantra, which is very easy for the mind, and not just any mantra. There is a specific mantra that's recommended in the Vedas. It consists of three words, Hare, Krishna, and Rama. And the whole mantra consists of 16 words, Hare, Krishna, Hare, Krishna, 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 Hare, 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 Rama, Hare, Rama, 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 Hare, Hare. So you just chant this and uh, you'll feel the effect. Because actually this, what's interesting about this mantra is that there was some police officers, they came to me the other day. And we were chanting in the sub, and they asked me, are you chanting the same thing all the time? <laughs> <laughs> and that was a relevant question. I mean, I, you could wonder, can, can you just get tired of chanting the same thing? But I was telling him, this is the proof, actually, that this is a spiritual vibration. Because let's, we, if we would chant, let's say, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. <laughs> I can tell you after 10 minutes, we would all be crazy. We could never do this again. Yes. But this is the point is that we're chanting this mantra together and individually hours and hours every day. And it just gets, 
deeper and it gets more blissful. Uh, so this is the proof actually that this is a spiritual vibration. And the thing is that uh, this name Krishna actually is the name of God. You know, they do this in every uh, religion, every spiritual tradition. Uh, they chant the names of God. They glorify God. It's recommended in the Old Testament that one should chant the, the glories of the Lord from sunrise to sunset. The Muslim, yes. it said in the Quran that uh, the most beautiful names are the names of God and one should call him by these names. And because this brings actually joy to the soul because it's a relationship. It's beyond any institution, beyond any religion, beyond any sect sectarian as how do you say sec, any sectarian attitude it's just that we have a relationship with the absolute and the absolute is a person actually and by calling this name this uh, mantra uh, we establish this relationship we deepen this relationship mm -hmm. and we cleanse all the you know the the dirt that's around which yes like, helps us to uh, direct more our consciousness like this understood I, I will absolutely attest to that. I found myself losing track of time many times during during our, our chance. Many, many times. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's it's pretty incredible. That was actually one of my first thoughts too when I first met you guys on, on the street in Halifax. Mm -hmm. Was um, like, I was thinking, like you guys handed me the card with the, with the words on it because it was my first time and I, I hadn't known them yet. And I was like, wait, these are all like the same words and we just chant <laughs> this over and over. That's what I was thinking. But as we did it, that first time, 30 minutes felt like five minutes for me. And, mm. um, and, I, and I have felt that many times. Um, so I, I feel like there's somebody listening right now that's like, well, this sounds great, but like, why, why should we believe, um, why should we believe what the Bhagavad Gita said? Why, why should we believe this? So could you explain, could you explain um, what, what the, could you explain the Vedas and could you mm. explain the Bhagavad Gita just to add some credibility to what you're saying? Sure. Um, Actually, uh, it's said in the Vedas that there's three ways of acquiring knowledge, uh, which are called pramans. I mean, there's different uh, ways to categorize them, but one, one good way is to categorize them in three. There's what's called pratyaksha. Pratyaksha means uh, our knowledge that comes through our sensory experience. Yes. So we can see the sun, and the sun from a distance looks like a small, small yellow ball. But we know that in reality, it's way bigger than a small ball. But through our senses, the senses are imperfect because it just looks like a small ball, right? Yes. Uh, but if we read about the sun, then we're going to realize actually it <laughs> doesn't oh, okay. fit between our, our <laughs> finger. Yes. So, uh, so that's the, the sense sensory experiences uh, and it's been explained even by many western philosophers that this is an experience uh, that doesn't lead to perfect knowledge because our senses are limited so there's another praman another way of acquiring knowledge that's called anuman which is uh, by you know induction you know with our mind we make assumptions if it's like this, then it's like that. We try to make models, we speculate in our mind, but uh, it's, it's been shown to be imperfect because uh, so many scientists, you know, hundreds of years after hundreds of years, they come up with all these models based on logic from their minds. And uh, 50 years later, 
there is another scientist that destroys the whole thing that the, <laughs> the that <laughs> that's established right. what was in his mind. Yes. So, and people are starting to just wonder. And in philosophy, it's kind of a great debate. It's that um, what's science anymore? Because everybody is like having a different, different uh, people. They claim they claim the authority of science, but uh, it's all based on two things. It's based on imperfect sensory experience and it's based on mental speculation which is pretty limited by nature so yes. then we can wonder is there any way of you know knowing uh, knowing the truth and uh, there's another way of acquiring knowledge that's called shabda brahman shabda, shabda brahman okay shabda brahman means uh, spiritual vibration yes so, um, this mantra we were chanting is a form of Shabda Brahman. Another form of Shabda Brahman is these texts like Bhagavad Gita, the texts of the Vedas. Yes. And, but why? This nice. I'm saying this like this. Oh, it's this is spiritual vibration, so it's higher. How can we understand this? Is that this knowledge actually uh, is given by people, by sages who are. Uh, very much more uh, realized because we're talking okay. there's there's theoretical knowledge but then there's realized knowledge oh, okay so that, that realized knowledge would be like feeling it like in the into the depth of you like you yeah. it's, it's yeah, okay all right gotcha so the, yeah these sages they're able to do by practicing this they're able to gain higher level of realizations Yes. And they're able to access really the depth of this knowledge. And it's revealed within the heart, not only within the mind. <laughs> okay. And for that, I mean, one has to, because I can say, uh, even I can say these things, and someone might say, still, I don't believe you. And that's yes. all right. <laughs> yes. But the thing is that, um, so that's why we encourage people to try it even for themselves. The thing is that we were saying to these two points, we were saying, just try this chanting of Hare Krishna. Just yes. read the, the Bhagavad Gita as it is, the, the, you know, the, the words of Krishna. Uh, okay. And study these, chant regularly. Just do this. For, there was a, a sannyasi, a, a senior monk. Okay. <laughs> disciple of uh, Srila Prabhupada. Prabhupada is our uh, founder, actually, who created the, this movement, who brought up the teachings from India. He wrote oh, this yes. Bhagavad Gita as it is, you know, with very interest, very clear commentaries that help us to understand the purport of the Gita. Yes. And there was one of his disciples, when he was preaching, he would say to people, oh, he would say, do this chanting, chant 16 rounds of 108 beads of Hare Krishna Maha Mantra every day, uh, give up uh, uh, meat eating, intoxication, illicit sex, gambling, says, do this for six months. And if you don't tell me that your life improved, I'm going to sign you a check of $10,000. No <laughs> he would, way. <laughs> he, would, he would say these things like in auditoriums full of people. And nobody ever went to him and said, I did this for six months. Now I didn't work. Give me $10,000. Yes. Of course, because most people don't have the determination for, at first to do it. And then right. those who actually do it, and they, they're forced to realize the benefit. There was someone who was, I was talking to and he was asking me in the street, how do I know, you know, that this book is the truth? And yes, I was yes. giving all sorts of answers. But at the end, I was just like, well, you have to 
take it and read it and give it a chance. Otherwise, you know. How do you know? Yes, totally. How can you believe me? I could be fooling you. I could be trying to take advantage of you. You have to see it for yourself. Uh, yeah. You don't have to lick around the pot of you know honey. You just open it. You take a spoon. <laughs> I like that example. Because people, you know, religion now is associated with blind faith, you know. Because we had bad experience with some se- several religious tradition right because of lack of knowledge or perversion of this original knowledge they didn't have satisfying answer and they were relying on uh, you have to have faith you have to have faith but it's okay faith i mean but we have to have faith based on knowledge based on direct experience of the truth so this is this is one <sighs> of the yeah i think I, just I, jump I, into it. i'm so glad you said that honestly I think this is one of the big, the big challenges for a lot of us is actually trying it. I, I feel like nowadays, I'm guilty of this too, I'll admit, is that if, it seems like we need so much uh, proof or we need, we need so much just to try something. Like, mm-hmm. But when we really think about it, it's like if you, your life could get so much better if you try these things for six months, <laughs> yet it just seems like it's like the end of the world to try Even it. for a week. Like. Even for a week, it seems, yes. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And of course, all we need to do is just try it. That's, that's always what it comes down to. But I find that um, myself included, uh, a lot of us build build these things up in our heads and it makes it seem like this grand ordeal. Whereas um, it's, it's it really can be a, a quick start. And so on that topic, what's a, an easy way somebody could get started? Because I think that, again, like talking about it is is wonderful, but to actually apply it is where the real magic can happen. So what's the easy way somebody could start? Uh, well, uh, of course, like we were saying, the, the easiest way, and uh, that's, you have the, you were able to test that when you came to the temple, is that when you are, we are, you know, there's some people, they say, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Mm. Uh, I think it's, how uh, is his name, Carnegie Dale? Anyway, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, yeah, I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, somewhat, it's kind of in the same kind of self-help thing. <laughs> yes, yes, and, uh, yes. So, but but this is an essential point. If you hang out with people who just smoke weed all the time, then you're gonna smoke weed all the time too. If you end up with robbers, then you're probably at some point gonna be taking part in a robbery. If you hang out with artists, then you might start doing some art. If you so that's the thing. If you want to be spiritual, then you have to hang out with people who are interested in spirituality, and then they can help you and they can motivate you. I, you know, I had, a, I have a sister, and she was on the national team of judo. And yes, what okay. was she doing? She was always, all the time, you know, spending time with people on the national team of judo, training with them, and whenever they would go out of course they would talk about stuff related to judo she was living with a girl who was on the national team of judo so her whole life was based on this how can i uh, to be in an environment that's conducive for further progress in that field so we have to see how can we uh, build our life in a way that sustains uh, our spiritual progress and that's what and it's interesting because our you know that's what our founder propod yeah he spent, he arrived at, in America at 70 years old, you know, with a few dollars in his pockets. He sat under a tree and he chanted this mantra, Hare Krishna. 
And then from 70 to 80 years old, what he did is he was growing popular and he was opening temples all around the world because he wanted people, you know, who are interested in spiritual life and this old knowledge from India to have a place that they can come together and they can practice this, they can talk about this, you know, they can spend some good time together trying to focus on their spiritual life because alone it's very difficult to maintain yes. simple habits. You have to get strength for from people who are doing it. And that's yes. the key element, actually. Okay. I think that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful piece of advice. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, honestly, I've had quite a bit, quite a bit of experience um, changing the people I, I hang out with. And there's definitely uh, um, worse <coughs> ways to do it than others. And um, so what would be a great place to start? Would it be like coming to like a, sun, a Sunday feast or finding a local group? It, would that be a good place to start? Yeah. Well, our, you know, our society, it's, uh, it's called the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. So we have actually centers all, all, almost all around the world. And uh, there's programs like this Sunday feast. We do uh, some nice kirtan, some chanting together, some class on Bhagavad Gita. And of course, it's called Sunday feast because there's a huge feast. Yes. <laughs> Vegetarian f- food, it's all, of yes. course, it's all free. And, um, uh, say in all major cities even in America, we have uh, some centers and you can connect with people who are interested in the same thing. Otherwise, if you're in your little area, then you can check on, um, there's a website called Vedabase, uh, V-E-D-A-B-A-S-E. And on this website, there is all these very old spiritual books from India, the Bhagavad Gita, the Srimad Bhagavatam. So you can uh, start reading these books and you know try maybe get a habit of daily reading a little bit before bed or whatever. Try to yes. understand this philosophy and try to practice it, try to chant. You can look on YouTube, you write Hare Krishna, uh, chanting Hare Krishna Kirtan. Yes. There's so many, uh, so many Kirtans. Kirtan means chanting together. Yes. And um, so, yeah, this is very helpful because if you're, alone then you have to build you know like or you have a room and you say this is the place that i give myself just for my spiritual life can have a little altar you know to uh, get more into a devotional mood and that's where you do your chanting and offer some incense or things like this so this is all helpful to try to create an environment of course the temple when the temple is there people are coming that the environment is already there if you really cannot do this, then you have to create this environment. And then you have to try to motivate people even to take part into it. And bring people and that you know are kind of spiritual people. And so let's, let's do this together. Let's chant this together. Let's read together. Yes. Of course, most people are not interested. <laughs> that's the, Maybe, that's uh, the reality. The key part is finding people that are interested in that. And I'll, I'll add one more website to check out. It's called meetup.com. Um, yeah. there are tons of different, different clubs to join, but there are quite a few spiritual clubs I, I noticed. So mm. check that out. There might be, there might be one that chants Hare Krishna, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Samuel, that's all the time that I, I have for today. I feel like I, I feel like we provided, well, I shouldn't say we, I feel like you provided quite a bit of value today for the listeners. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's amazing like how, how happy you are, man. Like it's, it's very inspiring. And I hope, I hope your, your peace 
the, the feeling of peace that you gave me when I met you got got through to the listeners in the podcast because that's that's what got me kind of hooked is seeing you and Marshall just so at peace. That's that's what made me want to come visit you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. To it's been a while even since we talked uh, mm-hmm. directly with each other. So that's I'm grateful for that, and uh, it's a very nice project you have there to share this uh, spirituality with people because we're human beings you know where we cannot just you know we get our little happiness no we need to share and by even what's interesting on the spiritual dynamic material dynamic you share something then you lose it a spiritual Uh, dynamic you share something and then you gain it so this is what's oh that's beautiful so just by talking about it just by talking just by explaining it to people then you get realizations even yourself or sometimes you say things and it just goes through your mouth and you're like, whoa, man, I thought about it like that. Yes. So thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to share this nice knowledge because it helps me uh, to gain realization about it. Too. That's beautiful. Well, it's uh, my, my honor, Samuel. So thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. I think the biggest takeaway from that is to do the two steps of learning, which was to acquire the knowledge. So maybe just try reading a couple pages of a book and then Maybe trying to apply it and try chanting the Maha Mantra that Samuel chanted a couple times during that podcast. Uh, if you guys want uh, any help finding monks, if you're thinking about living with them, or even just to learn a little bit more, feel free to DM me on Instagram. It's Brett Bailey with two A's in the Bailey. Uh, I'd be more than happy to help you out. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast and I will see you guys next time.